Hello, entertainment law nerds, enthusiasts, and aficionados, and welcome to the Dentons Canada Entertainment Media Law Signal Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Tarantino, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Caitlin Choi. Caitlin, how are you? Hi, Bob. Doing great, thanks. How's it going? Good. We're about to enter stage three in Toronto, so that's always exciting. exciting. (laughs) Today we have a special episode. So regular listeners may remember that a while back we did an episode with Ken Dollywall, where Caitlin and Ken talked to us about their paths into an entertainment law career. Somewhat to our surprise, that proved to be the most popular episode in the history of this podcast. It rocketed to the top of the podcast charts. We have the the data and the analytics to back up that claim. Um, For a brief moment, it was the most popular podcast on the charts. Um, And I guess I should qualify that by noting it was the most popular podcast on the Denton's podcast charts. So we sort of zoomed past like the employment law podcast, past the privacy podcast. We left the data people way behind us. So we were pretty excited about that. And we started getting questions. So the feedback online was, was somewhat overwhelming. We had to sort of outsource responses to the feedback. Um, we got the people were talking, the people had questions and we wanted to bring the people onto the podcast to pose those questions. So today's episode features a roster of students who are here at Denton's this summer, and we're going to try and answer their questions about practicing entertainment law. So before we go any further, our usual disclaimer. The contents of this podcast do not constitute legal advice, so please reach out to us or other counsel if you require guidance on your specific legal matters. So welcome, everyone. I've got Novali, Olivia, Ernest, and Corrine joining us here on the podcast. If you guys could just introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you ended up here. My name is Novali Davey. I am a second-year JD MBA student at the University of Toronto. Um, and this is my first summer here at Denton's. Um, so I guess my only exposure to entertainment law um, was in my first year of law school. I was volunteering at a, a legal clinic. It's called Artist Legal Advice Services. Um, and they deal with everybody, like musicians, actors. So I got a little bit of ex- exposure to that. So I'm very excited to be here today. Awesome. Welcome. Hi, my name's Olivia D'Souza. I'm a 1L at Osgood. Um, a little bit about me. My background is in tech and innovation, but I'm definitely interested in learning about different areas of law. I'm very excited to be here and to learn a little bit more about entertainment law. Cool. Thanks, Olivia. Hey, everyone. I'm Ernest. I'm an incoming third year um, law student at the University of Toronto. Um, you know, my extent of uh, involvement or exposure to entertainment law is sharing um, the fourth floor with uh, the entertainment law group last year. Last summer was when I was at uh, Financial Services, uh, but I'm excited to learn more about it and uh, kind of get involved with this podcast. Amazing, thanks Ernest. Fourth floor is definitely the best floor. Hi everyone, I'm Kareen. I'm going into my third year at Osgoode Hall Law School, and this is my second summer here at Denton's. I actually studied media production before I came to law school, so 
I kind of have a background in independent producing. And as a result, I very much love entertainment law and always try to learn more about it. So I'm super happy to be here. And I have a lot of questions for you. That's great. We love entertainment law too. So, so thanks for taking the time today, guys. We really appreciate it. And do we just jump in? Let's do it. Love it. First question. Okay. So it's my question. My question is entertainment law seems to encompass several legal areas from negotiating to drafting contracts to even a little bit of IP work. So I was just wondering, do lawyers tend to specialize in certain areas of legal work within the umbrella of entertainment law, or do they kind of have to remain like the Jack and Jill of all trades? So I'll be speaking a bit from a junior perspective, which is of course different than the rest of the group, but I would say you do a bit of everything that all of the lawyers you work for do, because as a junior, of course, you're not typically generating your own work, you're, you're, you're servicing other people's practices. And so um, I definitely do a bit of everything that the group has to offer. And I think as much as that may or may not be in your control, it's a great thing because you get experience in different areas. You learn what you like, you learn what you you know, maybe better at than some other things. And then you also get a chance to see what opportunities are out there. So I recommend being a bit of a generalist, even within a specialized sub-practice group. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we can take the generalist specialist discussion in a couple of different directions. So one thing I think it's helpful to note at the outset is for most entertainment lawyers in Canada, uh, certainly, you know, all the entertainment lawyers at Denton's, we tend to be solicitors. So, you know, there is some litigation side entertainment work that's done in Canada, um, but not a ton. It, it's different from the US where you will have lawyers who are, you know, pure litigators and all they do is entertainment slash media types of cases. In Canada, that's much rarer to find. There are a handful of folks out there who do that. So for the most part, you're looking at being a solicitor, um, which entails, you know, a lot of contract drafting. Within sort of entertainment law, you will find folks who specialize in a particular industry or aspect of the entertainment industry. So there's certainly folks who are just working on music related files. And, you know, sometimes they'll just be working on performer side or artist side deals. Um, again, in the context of a larger firm, that's a little bit rare for the most part because of the volume of the work that we have and the types of clients that we're dealing with. We tend to be generalists in the sense of we're all doing a little bit of or we're touching different aspects of the entertainment industries. Certainly in our case, I think we're more heavily weighted towards film and television, but you know, we do a little bit of everything in terms of film and TV, music, video games, live theater, book publishing. It all sort of crosses our desks at some point. I think the other thing to bear in mind is, and one of the advantages of working in a big firm is, we can draw on other specialists within the firm when our clients' needs call for them. So for example, Immigration, Helen Park, who was here on the podcast a few weeks back, uh, you know, there's a lot of very specific uh, entertainment related issues which arise in getting folks across the border, uh, similar with tax and, you know, sort of uh, estate planning issues which arise. So you 
you can have generalists like us in the entertainment group who do a bunch of different things, and then you can have specialists who get pulled in on a sort of file-by-file -file basis as, as the client needs might arise. That's awesome. Very cool. Thank you. Given all the things that you do, I was hoping you could maybe share an aha moment where you were working on a certain file or project and you had a moment where you realized, you know what, this is right. I found the right practice for me. And maybe do you still have those moments in your day-to-day -day practice? I'd say the layers of cynicism uh, build up over the years. And so it's, it's, it's difficult to find them. Uh, no, that's not quite true. So maybe I'll, I'll take a, a shot at trying to answer that. I mean, I would say, so I'm somebody who went to law school wanting to be a music lawyer. Um, that was always my intention. I sort of like the vision I had for my career was I was going to be, you know, at a record label, uh, you know, doing whatever lawyers do at record labels. Um, not to be dismissive, I just didn't know at the time what that actually meant. I then spent the first couple of years of practice doing just general corporate commercial work. Um, at a firm in New York, and then it wasn't until I came back to Canada that I found myself in the entertainment group. And so part of it, I think, is finding the right people. I mean, my, you know, sort of the initial aha moment where I realized, okay, this is what I could be doing was um, finding the, the sort of cast of characters that I found myself surrounded by. Um, and then for me, just given my skill set and my personality, like I really like contracts, contract drafting. And, you know, there were certainly moments where I was being called on to just draft essentially freestyle, like come up with language from scratch to deal with actor issues that arose. Uh, you know, one in particular that I recall was an actor who wanted to, um, they needed their their bathroom adjusted. This is a true story. They needed their bathroom adjusted in the hotel to meet certain specifications uh, that they were insistent upon. And so revising their actor agreement to capture that uh, was, you know, one of the more kind of ludicrous moments in my career, but also a moment where I was like, like, this is exactly what I should be doing with my life, um, as strange as that sounds. Yeah, I think I think for me, uh, a little bit of a similar story. I was interested in working in the industry when I went into law school, so I always had it in the back of my mind. But then when I came to Dentons, I thought, okay, I could also see myself being a general corporate commercial lawyer, maybe banking. You know, all things were on the table. And then I found myself really drawn to the people in the group and. Those, I thought that's the group I want to surround myself with on a day-to-day -day basis. So that cast of characters idea plays into my story as well. Um, in terms of aha moments, I think, I think I'm having them all the time, like you suggested might be possible. I'm early on in my career, so I'm still doing a lot of things for the first time when I do them. And, you know, you really get to get a sense of those little things that you like or you know, those particular client stories that might draw you to a, to a certain type of practice, but definitely still figuring that out on my end. So I guess it's my turn. Um, every single lawyer I've ever talked to has told me why their practice is uh, the best and all the unique things about um, their practice. So I was just wondering 
what do you think is the most unique aspect of the practice of entertainment law? That's a great question. I mean, because on, on the one hand, I think the sort of, uh, certainly the excitement of, of entertainment law can be overstated. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's kind of just practicing law. Um, you know, you're, you're certainly serving a particular type of client. I always describe entertainment law as, you know, just sort of the application of a, a bunch of different areas of law to a particular industry or a set of industries. So, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes it just looks like practicing law for any other client. You know, if you're, if you're drafting kind of a distribution agreement, it's basically not so different from drafting like a securities purchase agreement. Um, that being said, I think there are certain markers of the clientele or the type of work which are, are they certainly make the day-to-day -day practice interesting. And, and that what I'm referring to there is just sort of the speed at which things happen. Um, so it, it tends to be a really fast-paced practice. Um, it, it's not the kind of practice where the clients want to or can wait, you know, a week or two for a response. Um, you're generally responding the same day, um, you know, regardless of, of the complexity of the question. Um, and deals tend to get done very, very quickly. So your work product needs to be sort of sped up, like or the, your delivery of work product needs to be sped up. Um, and that being said, I mean, I think there's also certain aspects which do kind of distinguish it from other areas in the sense of the international aspects. I mean, we're constantly dealing with people in countries all over the world. Uh, I mean, we deal a lot, obviously, with folks in the States, but we are also dealing with people in the UK or other European countries or Australia um, because the industry is globalized and the work takes place all over the world and the exploitation takes place all over the world. And so you're interfacing on an international basis with, with different people and, and with different jurisdictions. And then also innovation kind of comes from all over the place. So the, the way that, that new platforms and new ideas get kind of disseminated through the entertainment ecosystem makes it, you know, interesting and also challenging. And so there I'm thinking about, th you know, when Netflix, for example, came on board and other over-the-top streamers, you know, that really was a paradigm shift for how these industries work and how our clients work and the kind of deals they had to put together and the kind of contracts we had to put in place for them and the kind of negotiations we had to do for them. So it's it, it's fast paced, it's international, it's constantly changing. It, it, it's just sort of an interesting area. I've always said, you know, if I'm gonna be practicing law, I'm really happy that I'm practicing entertainment law um, because it, it just, it definitely keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I think the constantly changing point is I've seen that even so far, you know, I think it, it more so than some other industries, it changes quickly and people within it are willing to move with that ball rolling down the hill or wherever it's going, you know, like I think I think a lot of industries are, of course, averse to change just naturally people like to know 
how things are going to happen. And so it's easy to stick with tradition, but entertainment, I find, goes against that. And they're, they're always looking for the next thing. Um, I'll, I'll just add a few things to that. I think, um, although I don't, <laughs> I, I see what Bob's saying, the work is legal work and not to glamorize it, but I do think there's an aspect to the business development where there are a lot of events, especially in Toronto, which is a small market, you want to go there so that they know that you're an entertainment lawyer, because I feel like there's a lot of familiarity within the industry and the bar. And so it's good, it's good to show your face and get to know the people that you'll be working with and working across from and working for in terms of the clients, um, because it's such a small industry. Um, yeah, we definitely have the best parties, right? <laughs> Any chance the students can get invited sometime or? I, I like that question. Um, so I appreciate the enthusiasm. Uh, I don't, you know, it, it, it would be possible, but there haven't been parties in a long time. And I don't really see parties happening in the foreseeable future. Uh, <laughs> but if they do happen, we'll make sure that you guys are on the list. Thank you, that's awesome. Thanks for the responses. I guess sort of related to Ernest's question, um, I guess I would like to know what are the most valuable skills or qualities um, of an entertainment lawyer that are unrelated to law, um, which have helped you to succeed in your career so far? So, so I can start on this one. I think um, so far I found it can be very helpful to be sensitive to each clients' needs, which of course applies across the board, but in our case, it can vary quite widely as to what a client in a similar situation to another client might actually need from you because of their level of experience. I think in entertainment, people can come from all different backgrounds um, and they might just want to create something, whether that's music or production or, or, or another form of art. But so they might have a business background. You know, in some cases they have a legal background, and so they may be very familiar with the types of contracts or other transactional items you need to deal with them on. But um, in other cases, they might be a creative, or they might have no business experience, or they might be, you know, it might be their first production. So it really varies as to the level of how what they need from you. And I think it's important to pay attention to that. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, I think also, to look, to be sort of glib about it, I think it helps to have a thick skin. Um, you're dealing with, you know, the clientele um, can be challenging sometimes. They're creative. Um, uh, they don't necessarily love it when the lawyers get in the way. Uh, we tend to have a tendency to slow things down, um, which doesn't always mesh with you know, the speed at which they want to accomplish things. Um, and while your clients are great because, you know, they generally know you're on their side and so they're they're fairly kind of accommodating, you're dealing with a lot of big personalities on the other side as well. Uh, and so whether that's, you know, the agents for the talent or whether it's lawyer for an investor or, or another producer, uh, you're doing a lot of navigating of personalities and a lot of navigating of very stressful situations. Um, and so I think just having kind of an ability to roll with the punches um, in a variety of different senses, I think can be can be really helpful. 
Um, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, more seriously, I think just being kind of intellectually curious is a good arrow to have in your quiver. Um, and then that ties into, you know, the notion that the industry is constantly changing and there's there's new developments that are always happening that you have to take account of and, and adapt to. Um, and, and sort of just to tie it back to, and I, I know, Noli, you've wanted us to stay away from kind of, you know, legal elements, but I think it's important to have a good solid grounding in just kind of general corporate commercial practice. So a lot of what we do is contract drafting and negotiation. Um, really helpful to know how to read a contract, how to write a contract, how to negotiate a contract, how to enforce a contract, what happens if something goes wrong. Um, but also, you know, just general corporate practice like how do you incorporate a company? How do you structure a shareholders agreement? How do you, um, you know, transfer assets or shares in a, in a purchase and sale transaction? Those kinds of things are just sort of constantly recurring uh, in our practice, despite the fact that they're happening kind of, you know, under the umbrella of, well, it's a, a film that we're selling or it's a music catalog that we're selling. There's just kind of nuts and bolts corporate work that, that needs to get done. And so having that background i think is is extremely helpful and, and knowing how to apply it to to these industries is, is really the key to to what we do not to you know turn our environment into a negative one but i do have a question because i find that a lot of times students who have an interest in entertainment law they're often told that you know the market's really small or it's really hard to break into and like not to get your hopes up and on the one hand i get that because it's true the market is small that's just a fact but I wonder what kind of advice you have for those students who, you know, want to do it nonetheless. And is there anything those students should be doing now to increase their chances or, or is it really just luck at the end of the day? It's a great question. So I think luck plays a role. It's not just luck. Uh, you know, luck and timing are critical elements in, in most people's success stories. So to the extent that you think practicing entertainment law is a success, yeah, I think luck is gonna is gonna have a part to play. That being said, I think there's a few things that people can do to kind of position themselves well for for this career. So so one is a recognizing how broad the the practice actually is in the sense of entertainment law in Canada is not just working at a large firm. Um, there are tons and tons of in-house positions. There are, you know, boutique firms, there are sole practitioners, there are a lot of different roles that get played by entertainment lawyers. And so focusing just on on a large firm, you know, I, I think A is, is it misses what's actually happening out there in the market. And I think it's just self-defeating because it, it's a kind of work that isn't sort of narrowly cast in that sense. So be open to other possibilities. Recognize as well that there's, you know, a lot of different types of work that get kind of, or that can plausibly be described as entertainment law. Um, and so whether that's in a, you know, different industries or different facets of an industry, but also, you know, media lawyers, you know, folks who are dealing with broadcasting regulation, folks who are dealing with uh, freedom of expression issues, folks who are dealing with defamation issues. In some sense, you know, that's also entertainment law. 
um, and it's part of what we do and there are other folks that's what they do and, and they I think can can credibly sort of describe themselves as entertainment lawyers and, and I think just recognizing that there's a lot of different opportunities out there uh, is helpful. The other thing that I would say is if you're interested in entertainment law it's good to demonstrate that in some way and what I mean by that is it's not enough to just say in an interview or in a cover letter, hey, I'm interested in entertainment law. It's a question of writing a blog post or writing an article or joining you know, artist legal advice services or um, having a background in film and TV or book publishing or, or live theater or dance. Um, it's a it's a question of sort of demonstrating your interest in a in a way which means that you're not just kind of a passive consumer of entertainment products, but you're somebody who's interested in how the industries work, you've taken the time to get involved in the issues and, and sort of inform yourself about what the concerns are and, and you know you can sort of present yourself as somebody who's able to brand themselves as actually interested in the kind of law part of entertainment law. So I think those are those are steps that can be taken. I'll, I'll put in a plug for also organizations like the Ontario Bar Association, which has an entertainment media and communications law section. Uh, students uh, can join the OBA for free and can sign up for that section. And, and they have all kinds of programming and networking events where it can be really helpful to start meeting people and start learning about these these areas and these issues. And Again, just making sure that your interest as an entertainment lawyer is actually demonstrated, or sorry, your interest in entertainment law is demonstrated beyond just kind of a, a passive role as a, as a consumer, somebody who just sort of, you know, likes music or, or, or likes watching films. That's great advice. Thank you, Bob. All right. Any follow-up questions? New questions? I think I have a follow-up question. I think right off the back of the conversation of just innovation and how the industry is moving forward, I'm curious, has the job and role of content creators, Instagram influencers, TikTok stars, has that changed the landscape of entertainment law at all? So that's a great question. I think it has and it hasn't. I mean, I think there there's just sort of an inertia to, you know, the existing system. Um, and so on a day-to-day -day basis, Sort of the stuff that I'm doing today kind of still looks a lot like what it looked like five years ago, let's say. Um, but those new platforms and kind of the new ways in which content is monetized, I think if anything, it's just emphasizing what was already there and some of the issues that we brought up earlier in the sense of, I think lawyers are having to be even more nimble. Um, you're having to respond more quickly. You're having to be more creative in terms of fees, for example, and you know how you represent the clients and how you structure your relationship with them because you know they're not making millions and millions of dollars and, and can devote sort of a significant amount of their budget to legal representation. Like they are, you know, eking out an existence or they are making money in you know, in a particular cycle, like so they're going to make money very quickly and then it'll, it, it might decline just as quickly. 
So those are all factors you have to take into account, I think, in, in trying to figure out who it is that you want to represent and, and how you're going to represent them. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think it's that, as we sort of said before, I think that's one of the really neat things about the practice area is that you're constantly having to be responsive to those developments. Um, having to figure, so can we talk about TikTok for a second? Because like, am I, like, is TikTok not just Vine? Like, didn't we already do this? It's kind like of. Vine with structure, not that I'm on TikTok, so that might be, that's just my understanding. Like, people do similar things over and over on TikTok, is that not the case? Yeah, I think Vine had a different energy when it first came out, That and then okay. TikTok is kind of coming up behind. I think Vine was a little bit more millennials and TikTok is a lot more Gen Z on there. So it has a different kind of voice and personality, but it's definitely interesting to see the differences and the similarities in terms of it. That's good. So that, that might help explain why I just do not understand it. That's good though. I appreciate Were that. Were you on Vine, Bob? Is, <laughs> is, that, what, is that where the no, but I, I have exposure to Vine, you know, I know I, I pay attention to what the people are doing. Like I'm, you know, try to keep up with things. Are you saying I should get a, a like a, a TikTok account? Is that where that was going? I would love if you had a TikTok account. <laughs> I'm not saying you should, but it would bring me personal joy. Yeah, you're not saying I shouldn't. Is what, that's what <laughs> I'm hearing. All right. Anything else? I have a question. Yeah. Do you find that entertainment lawyers often have um, a personal background in some kind of artistic area, like uh, whether they're past musicians or uh, actors, that type of a thing? And if so, and if it relates to you, could you possibly share what your background is? So I have no background whatsoever. Um, I actually became a lawyer because I wanted to get into the so like I didn't play an instrument. I couldn't can't read or write music. I just like I just knew that I loved music, and I was like, okay, well maybe I could like write the contracts. That was my in. Um, I think you'll find actually that not that many entertainment lawyers, or not as many as you'd think, do have that kind of background. Uh, certainly, I don't. Uh, if I'm thinking about people in our group, you know, I know one of us does, uh, David Steinberg, who's a previous guest on the podcast. Um, but the rest of us don't um, generally. I think it's it can be helpful. It certainly provides a level of insight into client concerns and fears and insecurities that you know I don't have. Um, so I think it's it's useful to have that there. And and I think also look there there are certain times where just on a substantive level that comes up. Um, so, for example, David and I tend to do a lot of the music work around here. David, former music, current musician, um, knows music theory, knows how to read and write music. There are situations where if we're concerned about copyright infringement, um, you know, with respect to a musical composition, you know, David and I can have that conversation and he can provide that insight that, you know, I simply couldn't and, and probably nobody else in the group could either. So. Yeah, certainly it's not a limiting factor, right? Like if you don't have uh, an arts background or an entertainment industry background, that is not, that's not gonna be the thing that uh, stands in the way of you being in it. I don't know, what about you, Caitlin? Did you sort of have a, an arts background before going to law school? No, I, I don't have any artistic talent personally, but I, I guess so as an undergraduate student, I majored in art history. 
But I think the real connection there is just a care for creative industries. And I, and I think that's very common amongst the entertainment lawyers I've met, um, more so than they were actually an artist in, in a past life. Um, and I think that that all makes sense because as Bob said, you know, if you want to demonstrate that you are interested in the industry, that's probably because you've gotten involved previously through that care of the arts, whether or not you are participating. Great. Well, look, everyone, I want to thank you again for taking the time to join us today on the podcast. Those were great questions. Hopefully we provided some satisfactory answers, gave you some insights into what it is that we do and, and how you might kind of angle your life in a way that uh, entertainment law makes sense for you. Caitlin, thank you again for co-hosting uh, our regular listeners. We will, I want to say see you soon, but I guess we won't actually see you soon. What's like the best way to sign off of the podcast? Oh, You'll hear you soon. us soon. <laughs> You'll hear us soon. That's I like just, it. That sounded like the most accurate way. Yeah, I like it. You'll hear us soon on the Dentons Canada Entertainment Media Law Signal podcast. Right, and then we could have like a musical flourish. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.